yeah, I think I put that pressure on myself kind of to begin with that I just wanted to prove to everyone that I could be a pregnant resident and still function like a normal non-pregnant resident. Um, I was taking primary call every third day up until 36 weeks. Um, so that was definitely challenging kind of as time went on, like doing reductions yeah. and stuff with a big pregnant belly is not the easiest thing in the world. No. <laughs> and everyone in the room is like, you're going to reduce my hip? And you're like, yes, I am going to reduce your hip. <laughs> Welcome to Moms of Medicine. I'm your host, Allie Trainer, and that was Dr. Eileen Colleton. We had a great conversation that I can't wait to share with you, but first off, wanted to address what was meant to be a brief hiatus from publishing episodes that turned into a much longer one. Um, I shared on here that we were stretched a little thin while waiting for daycare to start in December, and we did finally start daycare, but took a little longer than anticipated to get my feet back under me. So I wanted to share that in case there's anyone else out there who's currently in a bit of survival mode that it's okay if you need to take a break, you can get back out there when you need to. And I'm really happy to be back interviewing and publishing episodes. I have a few banked that I think you're really going to enjoy. And first up is Dr. Eileen Colleton. She's the first orthopedic surgeon on the show. And we talk all about what it was like for her having a baby in orthopedic surgery residency. This one is a must listen. And even if you aren't in a surgical specialty, there will be plenty to learn from her story. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this with me. And uh, like I was saying before we started truly recording, I'm super excited to catch up with you. Um, it's been a while. So for people listening, if you could just share kind of your name, um, what you do for work and what your life outside of work is. Yeah. So my name is Eileen Colleton. I'm currently a hand fellow at University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, and I completed my orthopedic training at Tufts Medical Center this past summer. Um, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you have a beautiful baby girl named yes. Peyton and how, how old is she now? So she's going to be a year in two days. So oh I had gosh. her, yeah, at the start of my chief year. Oh my gosh. Wow. Congrats. What yeah. are you guys doing for her birthday? So we're not close to any family, so not doing anything too big, but we're going to do a cake and some decorations on our high chair and do a little Zoom with our families, which should be fun. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I think a simple first birthday is nice. We did something similar. Yeah. I was like, well, she's probably not going to remember it anyways. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. No, just something for you two to mark the time. Yeah. Um, and your um, partner, he is he's not in medicine, correct? He's not. He works in tech um, okay. and he is mostly work from home, especially since COVID. Mm. Um, and so he was going into the office one day a week because it is a Boston based company. But when I had to relocate for fellowship, he kind of negotiated with them and was able to be fully remote um, nice. and just has to fly back to Boston once a quarter. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Um, Worked out very well. Yes. <laughs> And so we we had kind of emailed a little bit before um, and just kind of jumping right in there. One of the things that you had mentioned in your emails was that it was a little bit hard to make the decision about when to have a child. And I'll be honest, I don't know much about surgical residency other than how long it is, <laughs> but was there, you know, first off the decision of having a kid in training versus not, and then kind of within your training was there time decisions on the timing within training? And also like, were you actually able to <laughs> go with your plan? Cause I know we always have type A plans, but it's not always so easy. Oh, absolutely. I will say that in medical school, kind of all of the women in surgery meetings that I attended, whenever family planning was discussed, the discussion was about freezing your eggs. And that was pretty much the only discussion that was had. It was as if there wasn't really another option. Wow. Um, so definitely starting in medical school, knowing I was going into surgery, I was pretty sure that I was going to wait until I was done with training and just kind of hope for the best, basically, <laughs> that it wasn't going to be like a issue with fertility, which I know is super common, especially in surgical specialties. Um, but then when I was a resident, I was actually fortunate that I had a resident who was a couple years older than me who had a child during training. She was a third year resident when she had a child, so was still taking primary call. And she was, I, I saw her do it and was like totally amazed. That's and she insane. just kind of, yeah, you know, <laughs> just kind of opened the possibility. I was like, oh, like maybe this could happen. And actually, one of my female attendings was also had a child as a resident at the same program that I was at. So she was now an attending in the same program. So she was definitely someone I could talk to as well. So I think having those two influences really 
kind of open the opportunity to be able to have a child during residency. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say doing it, they both did it when they were still in the primary call pool, taking overnight call and everything. And I was amazed by it, but did also did not think that I was going to want to handle that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I waited until I was a senior resident and taking backup call. And then there's one rotation that we have that's three months long as a chief. And it's a rotation where we don't take any primary call and we don't have to round. So I'm kind of separate from the call pool and separate from the rounding list. So it was definitely a rotation where me being out was kind of the least burdensome on all of my co-residents um, because when my uh, co-residents who had had kids as a junior resident took time off, they had to make up their call when they came back. Um, so this kind of allowed for me to take the time off for maternity leave without having to make up any call or anything. Um, and then just the timing worked out very well for me. <laughs> and I'm curious, I have a lot of questions, but I'm yeah. curious. Um do you know the policy around having to make up call? Was that specific to your program just because it was kind of like a, you know, pay it back because people had to cover you? Or is that kind of an ACGME in ortho, you have to do a certain amount of call? Like, where is that coming from? So I don't believe there was any sort of ACGME rule for maternity paternity leave until very recently. Um, before I started my chief year, I think was the first time they came out publicly with a set guideline which was six weeks of paid leave where you could still have your benefits. And then you could take one additional week of vacation that year, but couldn't take any other vacation. So prior to that, I believe it was just kind of what my program had decided on what they would allow. Um, So for her, she took six weeks of time off and wasn't allowed to take any vacation for that year. And making up the call, I think, was just an expectation. I don't know if it was ever formally written or there was any formal policy about it. And it was more so just kind of what was expected, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I ask because it's it's like on the one hand, it makes sense because people have to cover you. But on the other hand, the thought of doing extra call while having a newborn at home is just like, <laughs> yeah, I can see why you wanted to wait until you were out of that <laughs> phase of your yeah. training. Um, I know some people tried to take, they tried to front load some extra call shifts in advance. So that way, when they came back, it was a little bit less to make up, um, which was kind of a smart way to go about it. But yeah, still burning some either way. Yeah. And it it sounds like you had some great, you had a great female attending mentor. There was a co-resident of yours who did this before, but the ortho is just a super male dominated field. Um, So I'm curious, did that play into things at all in terms of your decision-making or like worrying about how you might be perceived? For sure. Um, (laughs) Definitely was, I was definitely concerned about how male attendings would view me as a pregnant female resident um, because there's already some sometimes negative feelings about female residents in general. I will say my program specifically is very female friendly. Um, we had a lot of female residents. It was about 30% of us were women, wow. which is definitely That's high huge. for orthopedics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so while I was still worried about it, just because of, I don't, I didn't, I don't like standing out. I don't like being kind of like a person who has is different from everybody else. Um, And being a woman in orthopedics, you're already kind of different. And then adding pregnancy on top of that, it's like just a whole nother thing. Um, But I was so pleasantly surprised by how nice and kind and supportive all of my male attendings were. Um, They would constantly be like, do you need a break? Or asking me in the OR, like, do you need to step out for a second Um, during like X like um, cases that involved x-ray, they would step in front of me and just kind of block the x-ray machine or tell me to step back. Like they were all just like super, super conscientious, which was awesome and above and beyond what I expected. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, I was hoping you could share a little bit about what it was actually like being a pregnant surgery resident, not so much from the the male dominated side of things, but just from the logistics of being a surgeon. Cause I was talking to my husband before this, who, you know, and I was telling him I was interviewing you and, um, we were both like laughing, but also being like, how did she do this? Because when I was pregnant, I had such an extreme bagel response that I could not wear a sterile gown for more than like two minutes, I like passed out doing a central line. So then I was just like done for the rest. But 
being like a critical care fellow, that's not ideal, but it's not a, a deal breaker because, you know, other people could do it. I could supervise without being sterile, but like how in the world do you <laughs> be a pregnant ortho surgery resident? Like I just can't wrap my head around like holding your pee for that long, like feeling yeah. bagel, <laughs> like needing a snack. Like I just am confused. <laughs> Thankfully. So when I first found out I was pregnant, I was actually on a rotation where I was at a different, completely different program um, where I didn't know any of the residents. And so I was also just trying to kind of keep it to myself and not tell anybody. Um, And I was on the trauma service. So some of those cases were really long and I didn't really expect the heightened sense of smell that came along. Oh my God, that's a good point. Um, And like the smell of iron in blood, like really bothered me. Wow. So I was more so dealing with nausea in the operating room, especially in the beginning. But I just, I don't know. I just kind of tried to think about literally anything else. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Later on, thankfully, I didn't have any sort of like vasovagal symptoms, nothing like that. Um. Wearing lead was really challenging, um, especially as your belly gets bigger, finding lead that fits. Um, apparently there's maternity lead. I didn't know mm. that existed when I was a resident. So that probably would have been helpful, but just yeah. it's a lot of like extra pressure sitting on your stomach. And mm. I mean, if I had to go to the bathroom, I would just ask for a break quickly and just run and go um, and just scrub back in. And thankfully people were understanding that about that. Yeah. Oh, good. And then- I know you talked about you had these kind of perfectly laid plans of when you were going to have your daughter. And I'm curious, did that work out for you? And then how did it actually go with kind of navigating leave and figuring that out? Yeah. So thankfully it it did work out um, for me. I had to I basically timed it out to at least know that I was pregnant before we set our rotations for the next year. And Mm -hmm. then I talked to my co-residents. There's only four of us in a class. So we kind of set our own rotation schedules. And I was like, hey, guys, I need to do this rotation during this time frame. And I just kind of told them why. And they were obviously super understanding about it. Um, So I was able to set my schedule to work out that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Well, sorry. What was the second question? No, no, that's great. And then then, so tell me about the leave policies and kind of figuring that out and kind of navigating what that means as a surgical resident and how much time you're allowed off. Yeah. So I was allowed to take six weeks off and then could have one week of vacation, but they didn't want me to take my week of vacation until after the baby was born. Because if there's any sort of complication where you're put on bed rest or any sort of complication with the delivery that you need an extra week, um, that would have to be taken from that vacation week. So my, um, basically as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I talked to my um, program director to let him know and kind of give him a heads up. I told him that it was going to be during this rotation. So it shouldn't really affect my co-residents that much. He was very supportive about it. Basically said it was kind of the best time if you were going to do it during a resident to do it then. Um, And then there was some paperwork that I had to kind of figure out on my own just because it was the first year that the ACGME had a formal policy. Hmm. Um, So kind of working through um, the departments within Tufts and trying to figure that out could be challenging, Um, but it ended up working out fine. But yeah, it was only six weeks. So it was definitely short. Yeah, (laughs) I thought that it would be longer than it felt, I guess. I feel like you just are finally starting to feel a little bit like yourself and you finally stopped bleeding and then you're back to work. So yeah, no, (laughs) Um, truly. That was challenging for sure. Um, But thankfully, my husband also got six weeks of paternity leave from his job. So we actually stacked our leaves um, where I took, he took the first week with me and then I did five weeks on my own and then he did uh, five weeks on his own. So we were able to get her and then we actually ended up tacking on an extra week because it was a holiday afterwards. Um, so we got her to 12 weeks before she had to start daycare. So that worked okay. out well. Yeah. No, it sounds like you you guys were able to work out a plan so she wasn't starting too young. But I'm curious kind of like, what are your thoughts on the, the leave policies? And I, I ask like giving the disclaimer to obviously the leave is not specific to Tufts. Like it sounds like you were well supported there, but the ACGME says six weeks and you're told if you have a medical complication and you need to go on bed rest, you need to use vacation time. Like, 
I, I, I'm curious how you, I obviously have thoughts and feelings about that, but I'm curious just kind of how you felt about that at the time when you learned about that. And then also in retrospect, knowing what it's like having a new infant in your life. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. Cause I've known people who've had to go on bed rest. Like I think the rate of pregnancy complications in like surgical subspecialties, it's over 50%. Like it's just crazy high Um, just because we're on our feet all day. So I know someone who had to get put on bed rest for two weeks and then only had four weeks of maternity leave because of that, which is just so crazy. Um, Obviously, like we're all trying to do our best when we're pregnant and no one wants to have any sort of complications, but we're also trying to do our job. Um, So things happen and there's not much you can do about it. Like I ended up being induced early and it kind of is what it is. <laughs> yeah. But can I ask what happened? Why did you have to get induced? Um, so I had elevated blood pressures and they were monitoring them for a little bit. And then I um had some lab abnormalities at like a follow-up visit and had it was induced at 37 for preeclampsia. Mm. Yeah. And I guess like this is something you could never know, but like what do you think again, you're I don't think it doesn't sound like you were being asked to do anything above and beyond and you like know your limits, but do you think some of that was job related? I know that's an impossible question to answer, but like, do you, do you feel like you were feeling like either internal, external pressure that like you need to push and perform at the same level? Yeah, I think I put that pressure on myself kind of to begin with that I just wanted to prove to everyone that I could be a pregnant resident and still function like a normal non-pregnant resident. Um, so it's probably more so my own internal pressures. And I didn't, I don't like to ask for, or try to make like excuses to get out of things. I wanted to do my job, um, but could it have played a role? Absolutely. Obviously there is no way to tell. Um, I did take primary call um, every third day with a, with a um, intern also like buddy call system. Um, I was taking primary call every third day up until 36 weeks. Um, so that was definitely challenging kind of as time went on, like doing reductions yeah. and stuff with a big pregnant belly is not the easiest thing in the world. No. <laughs> and everyone in the room is like, you're going to reduce my hip. And you're like, yes, I am going to reduce your hip. <laughs> um, so definitely could kind of that extra exertion that kind of comes with the field of orthopedics have, and just being in surgery in general have played a role. It could have, I it's hard to know. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know for sure. It definitely, no, it's an impossible though. question to answer. Yeah. Um, and how did that work? So you were induced three weeks early. So did that cut into your leave time at all? Or did you have to like pay back any call time after you came back? So thankfully my rotation where I wasn't taking call had already started. I was basically planning to start my, I was planning to be induced at 39 weeks, really just to have a set date when I would be gone from so that everyone at the hospital knew when I was leaving. Um, and it was going to be like three weeks into my new rotation and it ended up being like one week into my new rotation. Um, so I went in rounded or like went in, made the OR schedule for that morning. And then I went to a, just a 37 week appointment and they were like, you're not leaving. And so then I kind of just basically texted everyone, let them know that I was getting, I thought that I was likely going to be induced. And then I was induced and making the coverage schedule for the evening cases that were running late while I was starting labor, which was, oh my God. (laughs) And I was like, okay, guys, now it starts. Now I'm out. (laughs) That is nuts. Um, I'm curious too, because it sounds like they're with like, you know, planning, having your child and figuring out your leave. And I'm, my guess is it was your choice to say, like, let's try and induce at 39 weeks. Like, it doesn't sound like the people in your program were pushing you to do any certain thing. So it sounds like this was your choice, which is reasonable and valid. But I'm I'm just wondering if you could maybe expand upon where you think this comes from. Because I think a lot in medicine, there's this feeling of like, I don't want to inconvenience. I want to make things easier for my colleagues. And I I think I'm I'm just kind of interested in where that comes from for you specifically. Um, cause there's a lot of planning. It sounds like that went into trying to accommodate your colleagues while you were growing a human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't, mm, I feel like it's like instilled in my personality to be this way, <laughs> which is like such an excuse, but I don't, I don't know. Um, I just, I don't like asking for help. I don't really like 
Like I even felt so guilty that while I was out, a resident who was like a PGY4 had to do the OR schedule for me. I like made him this like crazy detailed document about like how to do it and like which people should go where. And I'd like felt so much guilt about it. And like, obviously looking back, I'm like, like, there's no need for that. And if I was in the other person's shoes and had a colleague who was going out on maternity leave, I wouldn't expect that of them. Um, but I just, I really don't like to cause any extra turmoil <laughs> and I wanted to keep everything running smoothly to really set the stage for anybody in the future who maybe wants to also try and have a child during residency. I didn't want it to be like a negative experience for my program and have them maybe in the future not be as supportive. So I wanted mm. to basically show that it is possible and we can do this smoothly and not disrupt the flow of a residency and have it work. Yeah. And how do you feel about it in hindsight? Cause you're saying like, you would never expect these of these of your colleagues, but like going back in hindsight, or if you were advising someone, do you think you would tell them like, you know, it's nice to be able to do this, to make it easier on your colleagues? Or would you be like, don't worry about it. You're having a baby, like just focus on your baby. That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like if it doesn't put any undue pressure on you, it is nice to be able to kind of set the stage for the people who are covering for you during your time off to be able to do so like rather easily, I guess. Like just kind of having a good sign out, making sure people know what they are, what's expected of them while you're out. I think that kind of thing is just kind of courtesy almost. But then at the same time, I wouldn't ever expect somebody like a co-resident who was pregnant to put any undue burden on themselves to make it possible. Like, obviously for me, like my perfect timeline that I had laid out in my head just like happened to work out very well for myself. Um, But there's people obviously who it doesn't and there's nothing you can do about it. And so people should be supportive of that regardless. Yeah. And so you get induced, you have your daughter you have your six week leave. Tell me about what what the that newborn leave phase was like for you. Oh goodness. It was <laughs> it was very hard. It was kind yeah. of like being on call all the time, but instead of a pager, it was a crying child. Um well I so- have to say I'm super curious to hear how it was for you because I'll give any listeners the disclaimer that you are a female orthosurgeon. You are like an incredible college athlete, Ironman, triathlon, like you are, you can do the hardest of things. So I selfishly am like, I struggled. I wonder how I leaned in. Oh no, I struggled she's too. <laughs> no, no, I was struggling. I feel like, I, like, obviously like you're scrolling through Instagram or whatever, you see people post yes. about the newborn life and they're like, oh, cherish every moment. Every time I woke up with my with my baby was like a magical time. And I was so glad I had all those middle of the night waking. <laughs> I was not I like that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, am I a bad person for feeling like this is like the hardest thing I've ever done? Um, and it also just like made me so extra upset when people would consider maternity leave like my vacation like oh you're well you're fine because you're on break for six weeks in a couple weeks and you're like that's it's not a break like it's anything but even close if anything going back to work was like easier than what I had been doing for the six weeks before I went back to work so Mm -hmm. it was yeah it was definitely a challenge for me and I think people like sometimes on the outside, like glorify it a lot. So entering into that six weeks, I have really, my expectations were much lower than what, how hard it ended up being. (laughs) (laughs) And so you, you only have six short weeks and then you're back. So what was it like for you kind of in the lead up of going back to work and how you kind of like mentally, physically, or preparing, navigating roles with your husband, and then like actually going back? Yeah. So I initially, um, so really my mom also, she's a GYN and she had a, my oldest brother when she was still a resident. And for her, she was like, cause I talking about like how I was going to feed her was a really 
big stressor for me, especially being like, wait, I'm going back at six weeks. Like that's way before your milk supply is like even really fully established. Like, what am I supposed to do? And for her, she also went back at six weeks and she was like, oh, I mean, there were no pumps at that time really that were electric. So it was just, you guys all went to formula at six weeks and you were all fine. Um, so that was honestly my expectation going into it. And I thought that I wasn't really going to have any sort of attachment to breastfeeding at all. And I was surprised that I actually did and kind of felt this need to try to continue it, even though it was going to be challenging. Um, so I joined that like Facebook group, Dr. Milk, which mm, I have mixed feelings about. <laughs> I, I also have mixed feelings about it. Some of it, I think, yeah, can be, mm, I don't know, a little bit like anti-formula, um, which I, I'm i definitely not that way because I did kind of a mixed feeding myself. Um, but I thought that a lot of the advice about how to pump and stuff and the timeline and like scheduling advice was super helpful. Um, so I pretty much used that resource to kind of help me. And then also like who had the best pump advice, like which pump yeah. to buy? Cause they're expensive. Like I didn't want to mm. buy, um, a portable electric pump that wasn't going to work that well. Um, mm. so I ended up getting like the Willow generation mm. three. Um, my biggest reason for getting it is that it's like completely leak proof. So I could stand upside down and it wouldn't leak in the operating mm. room or anything like that. Um, and kind of getting myself adjusted to that before going back and like trying to start pumping at like four weeks so that I could get used to it before I went back and then kind of coming up with a schedule and trying to do that just in like the last like week or two before I went back um, was definitely challenging. And because I feel like generally the advice is like, oh, you should breastfeed until like 12 weeks so that your supplies established and then you can move to pumping. So I kind of just had to like fast forward that whole timeline, um, which was challenging in itself. Um, and then I kind of ended up doing a mix of formula and breastfeeding just because it just wasn't sustainable for me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's hard. And I will say just quickly going back to the Dr. Milk, my issue sounds different. <laughs> I think I think there are a lot of good resources on there. What I was doing would be like during my middle of the night feeds, I was just scrolling the Facebook feed and it was giving me anxieties that I didn't know I should have. And I was like, oh, these are what these women are worried about. Should I be worried about this? So oh, I would definitely do that. I too. think there are more productive <laughs> ways to use it like you did with um, looking for resources and asking specific questions. So for anyone out there listening, it's not horrible. Just go in there you know, knowing what you're knowing, what you're looking for. I definitely should have shut off the timeline feed. So like I couldn't see yes. anything and could just search if I needed to. No, I definitely that, should have done that, but that's a good tip. Yeah. In, in retrospect, <laughs> that's what I should have done. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. You talk about the attachment to breastfeeding. I think it's hard to know until you're really in it. Um, there's a question I had there and now I'm blanking on it. Oh, this is a, a silly question, but I'm just so curious because for me, I also was thinking of like different pumps to use and thinking of the hands-free ones. And I, this is dumb, but I was like, I am usually flat chested and I can't go to work and intermittently look like Dolly Parton. <laughs> I don't want to answer the questions. Like I, cause I had been around other women where you could like hear the pump and someone would be like, does anyone hear that buzzing? And I'm like, I just, <laughs> the embarrassment of having to be like wearing a wearable pump and everything that goes along with it was like too much for me. Um, but I'm curious if any of those fears were founded or if you felt like it was totally fine and actually a, a good way for you to keep things going when really you kind of needed a hands-free option. Yeah. I also am very flat chested. So that was definitely a concern <laughs> of mine as well. Yeah. Um, I was honestly surprised, like even though they're obviously like pretty high profile, our scrubs were like dark navy. So mm. from the front, like you really couldn't tell. And if I was like scrubbed in, you definitely couldn't tell with the gowns and stuff. Um, what I ended up doing, because I came back to a joints rotation. Um, so I was bouncing rooms for the for the day doing cases. Um, so basically the start of the day, I'd like figure out which two ORs I'm going to and find like the closest supply closet or like bathroom, like <laughs> anywhere that had like a lock. <laughs> and I would like go into that room put the pumps on, like help prep the patient for the case and like scrub the leg, get everything ready. And then when I went out into the room or back to the scrub sinks to scrub, I'd take them off, 
like, and then scrub into the case and like rinse, repeat for between the next <laughs> case. So it ended up being like maybe 10 to 15 minutes of pump time, but like it was the only way, especially early on that, like, I wouldn't be uncomfortable during the day. <laughs> um, so that was kind of my method of doing it. And then I would also like pump during morning lecture and stuff. To be honest, while I could hear the pumps and I felt like it was loud, like I thought that everyone knew what was going on, but then it was like six weeks in and one of my co-residents was like, what's that noise? And I was like, <laughs> have you just like not noticed for the last six weeks that yeah. I've been like pumping during every single morning conference? And he was like, I literally had no idea. So, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but honestly, people were like way more supportive than again, I thought that they would be like, I was so nervous that people were going to be like uncomfortable about it or weird about it. And there's like one male attending who's a joint surgeon. And I was like, oh gosh, like, I hope he's not like upset that like, it may take me like a couple extra minutes to like get in and out of cases and stuff. And I kind of told him what, or I actually didn't tell him what was going on because I was too embarrassed to say anything, but I talked mm -hmm. to his PA to let him, let her know. And she told him like nonchalantly during a case. And he's like, oh, I love breastfeeding. Two of my sisters are lactation consultants. And then he just like oh. went off about it. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it, yeah, people were just so much more supportive than I anticipated. Um, and then when I went back to Tufts, my trauma attending, his wife is an OBGYN. So he was like, what is your schedule? Let me know. We can get you mm. scrubbed out and scrubbed back in when you need to take a break, um, especially for those longer cases. So people were really awesome about it. That's that's so nice. And I feel like those are important small anecdotes to share because I feel like my personality trends towards yours a little bit and I get mortified by the smallest thing. So I'm like, God forbid I would mention to anyone that I need to take a break to pump, but it's like, it's not that weird and it's not that gross. It's like very normal. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was starting to realize that towards the end, but definitely in the beginning, I was like, oh God, I really don't want to have to ask to take a break. Like I'll just wait. <laughs> but right. people would just even offer it without me asking, which was awesome. Yeah. And so your so your daughter's birthday is two days from now. So like again, the the year roughly is the recommendation. So where did you guys end up and how do you feel about it now? So I was like almost exclusively breastfeeding except for like occasional formula supplementation until like six months. And then wow. honestly, like with work and stuff, like my supply just kind of started dwindling. I started introducing more formula because um, she really wasn't gaining weight as much as they would like her to. She started kind of falling off her curve um, and I just couldn't keep up personally. And the stress of it, I was like, I just need to start introducing it and to give keep myself some sanity. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then basically that kind of continued. And I just basically slowly introduced more and more formula. Um, by the time I graduated, I and was studying for the written boards. Um, the stress of that just completely ended breastfeeding for me. Yeah. <laughs> like I just wasn't making anything anymore. Um, so I just switched entirely to formula for the rest of the time. Yeah. To be honest, I like carried a lot of guilt about it initially. Like I felt like I failed in some way. Um, and now looking back on it, I was like, I put far too much pressure on myself. For yeah. This. Like it's not worth it. Like she's happy, healthy baby. Like there's nothing wrong with the decision that I made and it was the best decision that I could have. So, yeah, no, totally. And I think also six months of exclusively breastfeeding while you were doing what you just described to have to make it work with like going in supply closets between cases <laughs> is very impressive and you put in a lot of work. So I'm impressed. And I think you should be proud of how far you made it. Just the fact that the like, written recommendations now, like up to two years, I'm like, who <laughs> works and has time to do that? Like, I don't understand. No, totally. <laughs> I was doing a lot of work from home the whole first year of my son's life. And I still struggled to make it work. So I, I truly don't know. I, I understand and admire where the recommendations come from, but it is really hard. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and something we had emailed about as well was kind of dealing with societal gender roles and kind of the expectations that you put upon yourself and kind of the external pressures from society. And I'm sure there's intermingling of that as well, but I would love if you could just share a little bit about how that affected you and kind of how you're feeling about it now. Yeah, I do feel like there is this kind of expectation as like the mother to do most of the childcare stuff. And whether that should be the case or not, it's just kind of like 
what people expect. Like when I would be at a resident event, people would be like, oh, well, who's watching Peyton? I'm like, well, her other parent, her dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's two of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was definitely a question that I was always asked, but if the roles were reversed and Nick was out and I was home with the baby, I don't think anyone would ever think to ask him like, oh, who's watching Peyton? <laughs> it's just definitely. kind of the expectation. Yeah. Um, and Nick, like God bless him, has been like the world's biggest support. And yeah. yeah, he knows that he has a lot more job flexibility than I do. And if Peyton's sick and can't go to daycare, he's the one who takes the day off of work because his job is more flexible and spends the day with her. He does most of the daycare drop-offs and pickups. He makes most of the bottles for her to get her ready for daycare in the morning. Like he does the morning routine to get her ready because I'm usually out the door before she's awake. Um, so he has been wonderful and really stepped into kind of being both parents a lot of the time. Um, and so couldn't ask for a better partner through this yeah. for sure. Um, but I think that it is, we're kind of going against the traditional gender, normal gender roles. And I think like there was one day I got out early as a resident and was able to pick her up from daycare and they were like, who are you? Oh, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we, we were wondering what Peyton's mom looked like. I was like, oh, oh God, <laughs> that hurts a little bit. I'm yeah. sorry. And how and do like, you, yeah. how do you feel about that? Like, do you feel like, you know what? No, these are kind of outdated and it's totally okay. And not just okay, but amazing and should be celebrated that you're a working mom with an impressive career and that you make things work for your family and it's working fine. Like I've seen the beautiful photos of your daughter. She's happy. She's healthy. Like she is good. She's thriving. Or do you feel a little bit of tension and feel like, you know what? I love my job, but sometimes I wish I could be the mom who's there picking her up for daycare and, you know, making her bottles, or is it kind of, you know, maybe a little bit of both? Like how, how do you feel about it? I feel like probably a little bit of both. Um, I definitely feel some guilt in that. I like, can't always be the parent who's there all the time. Um, I can't be the one who's like answering the phone calls from daycare. I can't be the one who can get her when she's sick. Like, and I, or even going to her doctor's appointments, like I would love to be that parent, especially with like the medical background, being able to go, um, and instead I'm the one who's like writing a list of questions <laughs> to ask when he goes. Um, and yeah, like I would like to participate in those things and those aspects of parenting. And it's hard that I can't always do that. Um, and most of the time I can't, but I also realize that I'm in trading training and it's a finite period of time in my life. And when I'm in attending, there will be a little bit more flexibility to get to those events. And I think especially early on, um, since Nick kind of got the back half of a 12 week maternity leave home with her, I like was worried that she wouldn't know who I was like that. I'd be like this stranger to her. Cause I just wasn't around. Um, and now that she's older and like, we have more of an attachment, I feel less of that, but definitely early on, I was like, Oh, she's not going to know who I am. Yeah. Like, it's just like, I'm like, she's not going to have any attachment to her mom. Um, mm. And that was definitely a big stressor for me, but definitely less so now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how are you guys making it work now that you've moved to Pittsburgh? You don't have any family around. You're starting a new fellowship. And again, I think we are <laughs> kind of similar type personalities. I'm guessing you're like, I want to make a good impression. I want to be like showing up with my A game at work. So how are you navigating all of that now? Yeah, I will say fellowship hours in general are a little bit better than residency hours. And the call is definitely better because you're backing up to residents in the hospital. Um, so from that element of it, I'm able to get to like more daycare picks up pickups. Um, I'm usually not able to drop her off just because of when my day starts, but I at least can pick her up like some percentage of the time, which just makes me feel a bit better. But still, like if she's sick, the expectation is that like Nick has to take a day off, which unfortunately, I don't know, maybe the germ pool is just like different in Pittsburgh daycares than it was in Boston daycares. <laughs> but I feel like she's been sick for like the last two months and oh, gosh. has like needed all of these like random days off and has been to like multiple doctor's appointments and unfortunately, like that burden kind of falls on Nick and I feel bad about it, but I also don't really know another way around it. Like I, yeah. it's hard to like call out of your duties as like a fellow, um, because I want to be there for my attendings and I don't want to leave somebody uncovered. Um, 
So that's definitely like a different stressor, especially when it's like I'm rotating with people who don't necessarily know me as well as the attendings that I was working with in residency. Definitely. And this is something I meant to ask earlier, but kind of got off track and forgot about it. But can you please tell me how in the world (laughs) you made it work with the sleep deprivation going back at six weeks? Like babies are not sleeping at that point. Like what, like, like, uh, like genuinely curious logistically for anyone else listening who might be a surgical resident thinking of having a baby or really anyone like, did you pull shifts with your husband? Did your baby just sleep well? Did you just drink a lot of coffee? Like how, how did you do that? (laughs) I feel like by the time I went back at six weeks, I'm also probably like, you know, it's like such a hard time of your life. You like black it out once you're done. (laughs) So if I can remember correctly, I feel like by the time at the end of the six weeks, we were at least out of the, like every two to three hour wake up range. And we were in more of the like four to five hour wake up range. Um, so usually like I would basically feed her before bed, which would be probably like 10 o'clock ish. And then I would wake up and honestly, she would sleep for at least like five hours. So I would just get up with that. And that would be like my morning feed. Cause I usually had to be at the hospital by 5 30. So I would wake up at four to like, be able to like feed her and get ready for work. Um, so I could get like four to six hours. If she woke up in the middle of the night, um, sometimes Nick would like just do a bottle feed. So that way I could at least get like a solid, like five hours of sleep, which is so (laughs) funny because you're like, Oh my God, five hours of sleep is horrible. But I feel like at that time when you're going on, like we're getting two to three to now five, you're like, Oh my God, this is magical. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about perspective. (laughs) Totally. And um, it's like, if she started doing that again, I would cry. You would die. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And you had mentioned too, at one point, your mom was also a physician and you had kind of talked to her about things. How much were you able to kind of look to her for a source of support or do you feel like things had significantly changed or it was kind of different because she was in OBGYN? I think it was a little bit different um, because OBGYN, I feel like just tends to be a little bit more friendly to the pregnant (laughs) resident. Um, (laughs) Like even um, at our hospital now, like just their like leave policy is a little bit more or just has a little bit more flexibility than like the surgical spe- other surgical specialties. Um, just because I feel like they've had residents having kids within that specialty for longer. Um, but st- even so, she was very early on um, to when this was happening. She said she was a chief, um, which made it a little bit easier, but she could still only take six weeks and then basically went back to working crazy, like pre-restricted residency hours. So I don't know how she did it. She said that there was a nurse who was retired who had a daycare for the resident kids. Um, And so she could drop them off at like 5 a.m. before she went to the hospital. And that's basically (laughs) how she did it. Because my dad's also a physician. So, and then he would get out early enough that he could pick up like my brother and then my mom would still have to be continue working. That's insane. Um, so Does she want to I don't be interviewed. <laughs> you should definitely talk to her. Because <laughs> that sounds insane. <laughs> I know. I don't I don't know how she did it. Honestly, I would love to hear her own her, her interview as well. Yeah. Let, send me your send me okay, your contact. Send you her contact. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> no, I will. Okay, please do. Um and I kind of one of the things we had emailed about as well was that, you know, if you could do something differently what would you do? And and you had said to me, if you asked me two weeks in, I would have said yes, but now not a chance. And I was hoping you could just expand on that and kind of what the emotion and details and anecdotes behind that are. Yeah. I mean, I feel like when I first got home with a newborn, like those first two weeks of maternity leave were just really brutal for me. Like first off, like the hormones are totally crazy. Like you feel insane. (laughs) You're like, I'm crying and I have no idea why. Yes. (laughs) And you just like, feel like you're on this like legitimate roller coaster. Um, and I feel like at multiple points during that time, I was like, did I just like, what did I just do to myself? Like, I have to go to back to work in like three to four weeks. Like, what am I doing? Like, was this a good idea? Was this a horrible idea? Should I have waited? Um, and that was definitely, honestly, a thought in the back of my mind for a while. Um, and now that she's like, well, so you're getting no feedback. Like, 
you're like taking care of this child and like they're not even smiling yet and they just cry yeah. or are sleeping and you're like wow like I need some positive feedback like anything Definitely. please give me something yeah um, I feel like once she started like smiling and like interacting a little bit more it became a lot easier like I was like okay like this that I like we can get through this this will be fine same. yeah but early on I was like what did I do <laughs> yeah <laughs> and now you're a year out so we kind of talked a lot about how you had people you could look up to, other residents, other attendings, your mom. Um, but how would you kind of advise someone in a similar position as you? Like, obviously, you wouldn't change anything because you have your daughter who is perfect and you love her. But like, if you had to go back and, you know, do you think you like with the timing, do you think you would do it again? Like, was it doable and should someone do it or is waiting maybe? potentially a better option for some people. Um, so I actually went to like a, at the hand society meeting there last year, there was actually a female panel discussing this being like mm. people who had kids during training versus people who waited till they were in attending. Um, and I mean, there's like, honestly, pros and cons to both sides. Like when you're an attending, you're trying to establish your practice. And is that also like, that's also a stressful time to be being like, okay, I'm going to take six weeks off um, or however much time off um, for maternity leave. And especially if you're new in a practice that can be really hard to ask for as well. And as a resident, you have like a protected six weeks that you'll have off, but oftentimes as an attending, there's no maternity leave policy. Um, so it's, you won't necessarily have like paid time off for that. Um, so there's like really pros and cons to each side. I, in my opinion, I think I made the right decision, even looking back on it to have Peyton during, as a resident. Um, I, even though it was a short amount of time, I got a set amount of time that was paid um, where I still had benefits, um, which isn't always the case as an attending. Um, and I wanted to have a child when I was still like younger to help kind of decrease the risk of having sort of like infertility complications and that kind of stuff which a lot of people face and I've met a ton of people who've had those issues especially in medicine when we're in such a stressful career path and oftentimes our families are delayed as it is um and my mom was also kind of in my ear being like you know you're the only one who can do this like <laughs> you can't carry the baby for you so if you want a kid like you gotta Not, do like, it. Yeah. And she's just like, there is no good time, which she's right. Especially in medicine, there really isn't a good time to do it. It's just like when you're ready and whenever you're, you and your family are ready to kind of take that leap, you just kind of have to go with it and things generally will fall into place. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's so true. It's never easy. Do you think going back, what would have made it I feel like there's a better word than easier, but what would have made it better for you so that you felt like, you know, it sounds like you had a lot of support, but felt like your, you know, health and being a mom weren't in conflict with your job and your identity as like a competent physician who works hard. Like what would, what could have made that better for you? Do you think? I mean, I feel like just like my own, being so hard on myself in general, like I can just do less of that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people said, oh, like when you become a mom, like nothing else matters. Like that becomes like all that matters. And like you start to care less, but I haven't really found that with myself. Like, I feel like I still care a lot about what other people think and their, their opinion of me. Um, and so I'm still even like in the early postpartum times was like very hard on myself. Um, so I feel like just being a little bit more forgiving would have been, would have been helpful. Yeah. Um, obviously, like I had a very supportive residency, so I couldn't ask for better from that standpoint. Um, and I had a mom who had kind of been through this. So she was also very supportive um, from that standpoint as well. And obviously a partner who's been a dream and has taken on a lot of the parenting duties. So I feel very lucky, like everything the, even though it was hard, like, I feel like I had the best support I could have and I should have just been easier on myself and a little bit more forgiving. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's a good message to just be kinder to ourselves in general. But I, I will just say too, I think, um, the, I've also heard the, like, you know, when you're a mom, nothing else matters. And I think if that's true for you, that's amazing. Yeah. And if it's not like, you're still a good mom, like it's, it's okay to value your career too. Like, I think 
the kids will be fine. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think those were mainly the questions I had. Is there anything else that you feel like we didn't touch on that you want to make sure you share either stories or reflections, kind of anything else that we didn't touch on? I feel like just in general, like knowing that it was possible to have a child as a surgical resident, like, yes, it's hard, but people will be more supportive than you think. Um, and it is possible, especially if you have a good support system around you to make it a little bit easier. Um, and even if you don't like find a mentor, like lean on people who have been through this before, like it may be a little bit, sometimes you have to dig a little bit harder to find those people, but they're out there and they're a good resource for you to kind of give you that support, especially in the early postpartum times when things are challenging. It's so hard, <laughs> but it gets better. <laughs> oh yeah. it get, And people kept telling me it gets better. I'm like, when? <laughs> oh, I know. But yes. it does. It really does. <laughs> yeah. No, I think like at this point, it's like every day gets better. It's fun. Yeah. It's yeah. the best. <laughs> it is so fun. They yeah. change so quickly. And it's so like fast. so awesome to see her like starting to have thoughts of her own and like a personality of her own. Yeah. Yeah. What's she sass. doing now? What's she up to? <laughs> um, she first of all loves my dog way more than my dog loves her. Oh. Um, so she spends a lot of time chasing him around or trying yeah. to pet him. And she thinks him like growling or barking is hilarious. Um, so that's a little no sense of danger. No sense of danger. <laughs> Not that. Yeah, there's no sense of protecting yourself as a baby. Seriously, yeah, that's um, awesome. She's not walking yet, but she crawls with a massive efficiency. Love that. <laughs> that's good. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this with me. I know some of it is like hard to even think back and remember, but, um, I appreciate you sharing all of this. Cause I think, uh, hopefully some people will benefit from hearing it who either are in the thick of it or thinking of having a kid in residency. It's nice to just hear someone has done it and come out the other side and is happy and thriving. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me. And that's a wrap for today. Thank you so much for listening and for being patient with the hiatus in episodes. If you liked this one, please leave a rating or a review, share it with your friends, and tune in again in two weeks for another episode.